Are you ready to become toxic person proof? Hey guys, Sarah K. Ramsey here to help you find love and success after a toxic relationship so you can design a life you're actually excited about living. Hello, wonderful. This is Sarah. And have you ever been someone who's like, that green stuff. No, not envy. We're talking money. And uh, there, there's just a real imbalance in men and women when it comes to money, when it comes to private equity, when it comes to, uh, I don't want to say understanding money, because that makes women seem, um, it's just not been historically Women have had not had enough experiments in dealing with money. And we have Kelly Winget, and she is here to help us understand that green stuff and understand uh, our role in it. She has a decade of experience in investments and banking and financials um, and has raised a billion dollars in private equity. So, so um, those, those big, those big bucks don't don't scare her hello kellyanne how are you hi sarah i'm great thank you for having me on today now when we talked you talked about the imbalance and a kind of a power imbalance in this space oh yeah and the financial sector is like especially the financial services space is one of the most imbalanced places that i've ever worked and i've pretty much always worked in male-dominated uh industries my first job was at a car wash and i moved into construction demolition and then oil and gas so i was always scooting chairs up to the table with the big boys and and demanding a, a seat in a place so um i've been in the alternative investment space for a little over a decade and i was i still am typically the youngest and also the only female in most of the rooms that I uh, go into. So it's been nice to find a small group of women who are trying to change this and and being part of that uh, in our field. So you mentioned before our podcast that you think women are left out on purpose. Do you want to explain more about that? Yes. So um, when I first started in this industry, and if you're familiar with the movie Boiler Room, there was a phrase in that movie, it was, you know, don't pitch the bitch, right? And so this is actually um, said in real life in rooms in the financial world. And I've had it said to me by um, finance managers, fund managers, a couple of times in my career. And uh, it was always shocking to me because um, you see these things in Hollywood, right? This this messaging is uh, in in movies and TVs and and shows that you watch, and that's kind of where we get that mindset, right? Oh, women don't make financial decisions; it's all the men. Um, and I this phrase has kind of really stuck with me because in my career, and I'm talking to um, uh, you know pretty typical husband wife investors in this space. And I'll spend a lot of time talking to the husband about the investment opportunity because that's what we're told to do, right? And it would get to the end of the conversation and time to write the check. And the husband has no idea what bank they're at, where the checkbook is. They have to bring their wife in the conversation, okay? And by that time, she has no information. This this person has talked to her husband for, you know, weeks and now she's getting brought into the conversation. So she usually, you know, puts the brakes on it. She's like, we're not doing this. I don't know anything about it. And at this point, she just doesn't want to hear it because she wasn't involved from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is done on purpose because they want to try to, it's all game. They're trying to get someone to commit to investing in something before 
what we come in with as women, we're kind of naturally suspicious of things. And so we ask a different set of questions than men do when it comes to investing. Um, and so I just kind of shifted my entire uh, focus away from that and making sure that if I'm going to talk to um, a husband, wife about an investment, I make sure that both of them are involved from the very beginning because one, I don't want to waste my own time. And two, I don't want to waste her time because she's ultimately going to make that decision. Um, we, we all think, and all the stats all show that men make the investment decisions, but in reality, women are the ones that are running the household financially. And there's something to be said about women's intuition. I love that you asked when we don't ignore it. And I'm screaming to all my listeners when we don't ignore it. There's such power in that when we listen. And I was in a corporate, oh, I was talking to you about being in Dallas, how often I used to be in Dallas. And there was a, a corporate executive uh, for females training that I was a part of. And she talked about how, you know, there's kind of a, stereotype about men compartmentalizing things differently than women and and then women's intuition. But she talked about how the right side and the left side of women's brains talk to each other in different ways than male brains. And it's not, Mm -hmm. it wasn't a conversation about one being good or one being bad. It was a conversation about the value of women having a seat at the table and, Mm -hmm. and having that intuition because I know personally, I can speak from my experience. I am not as good as compartmentalizing things as my husband, but man, I can pick up on things and just that intuitive nature. And it's how my brain works. Right. And um, we all kind of work that way. And it's, it's very evident when I talk to um, the two sets of investors, right? A husband, wife, couple, a single man or a single woman, right? They all invest differently. And that's one because their, their goals are, are different, but it's definitely a, women will ask a lot of questions. They'll do a lot of their own research, but when it comes down to it, they do, they just go with their gut. Um, and men, uh, kind of take more of a gamble. They don't do a gut thing. They're just like, eh, we'll try it. Um, uh, it's not whether or not they feel a certain way about it. They they think they've done enough research and they're like, this is a good decision because I've done this research. Um, and it's not, I've done this research. I still have questions, but I have a good feeling. That's more how women invest. Um, and from my experience anyways. Have you seen those statistics on that? If a man is applying for a job, if he's like, 60% qualified, he'll kind of take that risk and take that leap, exactly what you just described in the investing process. And that women, if they are 95% qualified, they'll be like, oh, there's this 5%, maybe I shouldn't yeah. apply. You're like, whoa, no, girls, right. come on, take right. that risk. Uh, but I do want to bring that statistic to what you just described, because it's a very similar process. And sometimes um, there's some real advantages to some, I won't put a category in every male, but uh, some stereotypical male traits of just like, sure, let's try it. Let's see what happens, right? There, there's some advantages to that. Right. Women are um, a thousand percent more risk adverse than men when it comes mm-hmm. to investing and um, which can be a good thing, but also a bad thing because they're not taking the same risk as a male counterpart. So they're not make, they do they do better in their specific portfolio than men if they were investing the same way, but men overall make more because they take more risks, uh, whether they're calculated or not is another conversation, but they take more risks than women. And I think that in my experience, cause I've been doing this for over a decade that in the last few years, especially with COVID 
um, I have more uh, women coming to me wanting to take that risk and wanting to do more with their portfolio because they're seeing the opportunity out there, that they're taking the time and saying, okay, now I need to take control of my finances. I need to um, do something. I can't just keep letting this you know, advisor that I maybe have spoken to one or two times have control of my stuff. Um, and, and that's kind of a big shift that's happened mainly through COVID. So this may seem like a silly question, but I know some of our listeners, can you talk about some of the advantages of having that uh, control of your finances and some of the advantages of like, okay, I'm going to work. I mean, I grew up in a house. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I mean, if my dad died, mm-hmm. I don't know that my mother would know how to pay a bill. I really, maybe she would, maybe not. I don't, I don't know. I mean, and my dad doesn't make his own sandwich, right? I mean, it's just very stereotypical <laughs> role and they're happily married and, you know, it, they're, they're nice to each other. It works out for them. Um, that same methodology has, I have seen destroy other people's lives, you know? Um, and I certainly, I am not the same. And, you know, mm-hmm. my daughter wants to have her, um, you know, um, what is it that bring home the bacon and fry it up or something ridiculous, you know? Well, there's, there's a shift happening, right? The older generations, that is how things worked. You know, the husbands took care of the money and the wives took care of the house. And that's just how it was. But you have people that are in there, like the 45 to 55 year old range um, is going to have more of that uh, dual responsibility And I think that, um, you know, as women are staying single longer now, they're, they're having more control of that going into a relationship with somebody else. Uh, A lot of people are keeping things separate. Like my sister and her husband have been together for 10, 10 years or something. And uh, they have always kept their finances separate. Mm -hmm. They don't do like he pays his half of the mortgage. She pays her half of the mortgage and everything's separate. Now that works for them. doesn't always work for everybody else. But um, I think that the more control you have, or at least just knowledge of where the money is and where it's going um, will help protect everyone uh, when something like that does happen. Because the fact is women will outlive their partners nine to, you know, nine out of 10 times. So the fact that we are outliving um, our, our partners in old age, we have to know where that money is and what happens when one of us dies. Um, and if you're going into that blindly, you could end up with a, a financial advisor or, um, you know, your estate planner, whoever, who who's going to try to control that money after that person's gone because you don't know what you're doing. Right. And they, they don't have any motivation for your, um, well-being outside of their commission or fee, right. They're an AUM person. They just want to have as much money under management as possible and collect their two to 3%. Um, the fact that you want to, uh, live on a boat in retirement has nothing, they don't care. (laughs) So how can you invest to make sure that you're having the lifestyle you want, um, before and after, um, your spouse dies. And the good thing about investing in that type of thing, I I know we are moving into a, my grandmother was literally her, she, her husband died. Uh, He died of lung cancer because he worked at a government plant Mm -hmm. 
And so my dad grew up without a father. She had three kids. Um, She, I don't think she graduated from high school, which is pretty normal back then. And uh, she was just happy to not lose her house. I mean, when you talk about living in survival, I mean, she was truly just, I know she had a boyfriend who had a lot of alcohol issues Mm -hmm. that she kept around just because she thought I'm going to lose my house. I have three children. And um, one time a friend was talking about having a nervous breakdown. And I remember her telling me that she was washing dishes and she said, who has time for a nervous breakdown? Like I got three (laughs) kids dead husband, like, I don't have time for a nervous breakdown. Um, And, you know, most of us are not living in that type of life anymore. There are certain things that have improved. But as you had that, it was just like, let's everyone be fed. And then you had um, kind of almost that, okay, don't spend your money, right? Just, Just make sure you don't spend, like save, 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 don't spend your money. And then now we're moving into more of an abundance mindset and more of like an investment, investing financially, investing in ourselves with a financial payoff. Yeah. I mean, the investments I've made in coaching and all, there have been a financial payoff. There's been an emotional payoff too, but there's been a financial payoff to those experiences. And, you know, we're making that shift and it's a good shift and women are making that shift. Yes. And it's, um, it's really evident and it's really important because, um, I know you focus a lot on, you know, what is the toxic trait and what, how do we recognize these things? Um, and in fine, in the financial sector, and even in your partner, um, the inability to open up about your finances is a huge red flag. So if you, if you are um, with somebody and this is in business or in your personal life, if you have a partner who, you know, can't be honest with themselves about their financial situation, they're never going to be honest with you about their financial situation. And you can't grow, you can't come together on that. You can't grow together with that. Um, everyone kind of needs to be on the same page, even if your financial goals are different. Um, uh, you know, my financial goals is that I want to be a hundred billionaire. And, um, so I want to try to make sure that my money's working that way. And my partner is a social worker. So her work is focused on, you know, the betterment of the community, which is also something that I really care about, but she's not out. She, her, her financial goals and her financial work isn't on how can I make the most money? Um, And mine is how do I make the most money so that I can help people who, who aren't in that situation. And so you have to have, you have to be able to be honest about that and be okay with whatever that other person's decision is. I had a a business coach and he said, the best way to help poor people is not to be one. And it was so funny, but you know, I came from a Background of like my dad was a minister, my mom was a nurse, you know, background of education. It was like, and I remember um, a teacher and he was talking and, you know, I, he said, well, you know, we're not here for the money. And it's like, but I mean, it's your job. Like you're, you're actually here for that. Like that's, that's what a job is to some extent, right? And I have so many friends who are teachers. I'm not insulting the profession. I'm saying we need to pay teachers more. Um, yes. <laughs> very clearly, let me yes. be very clear about my beliefs yes. on that. Uh, but you know, when it, it, we've almost made it this like holy trait or some type of, it's like, oh, but it's not about the money. And that can be true. And money gives you choices. And right. 
money pays for a tutor for your child. And I mean, I have never, and I mean, never, ever walked in and bought medicine for my child without thinking about how grateful I was that I didn't have to, you know, in $10, I've not had major health things. Every single time I go and buy that children's Tylenol, I think I am so grateful that I do this without having to second guess it or having, oh no, I'm not going to have enough money. Or, I mean, it's just, it's those little things, but I'm appreciative every single time. Right. And, um, it, once you get into that mindset of, um, uh, it's okay to have money. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay to know about money. Um, it's okay to spend money when you have the money. Um, it really changes your whole, uh, I don't know, energy. It, it is a huge relief. And I think that most people feel that way. Like if I had enough money, I would not be so stressed. And, um, you know, it, defining how much is enough money. Um, and for some people, they think, oh, when I can afford a Gucci bag or when I can afford this car or when I can afford to go on vacation every month, it's like, no, the enough money is where am I that I don't have to worry about my necessities being paid for. And, um, and if there's an emergency, I can be okay. Cause then after that, then it doesn't matter how much money you earn because then the sky's the limit, right? My my necessities are taken care of. My family's taken care of. Now I can focus on growth. Now I can focus on how much more money can I make? Um, And you don't want to change your lifestyle as that money grows. That's kind of the biggest, um, the biggest downfall, especially with like doctors, right? Doctors have this uh, lifestyle that they maintain. And as they uh, advance in their career, they upgrade their car, they upgrade their house, they upgrade their neighborhood, all of these things, because they maintain the image of being a doctor. And I say this because I work with a lot of doctors. Okay. They're all the same. I, you know, there's not ever like, Oh, I'm a different doctor. No, you're all the same. And, um, uh, it's chasing that lifestyle. And they're typically, these people make a lot of money. I mean, you, you're talking about surgeons, um, uh, radiologist, these people that, that make four five, 600, maybe even a million dollars a year in W2 income. Okay. And they're still broke. Mm-hmm. You know, they're chasing, they've got the 10,000 a month mortgage. They've got the $5,000 a month lease car, and they've got five of them, you know? And, um, as soon, as soon as they advance, they, they up their lifestyle. Um, they're not thinking about, okay, what does, what happens when I'm done working? What happens when I'm not making 500, a million dollars a year? Um, and they don't have the time to invest in investing. Um, they're doctors. So there are investment groups out there that help doctors invest their money. Um, but they're so hands-off that I, you could ask them like, oh, what are you investing? He goes, oh no, my guy does that. Right. Well, what is your guy doing? You have to be present in some way with your money. Um, or you could wake up one day, like some people are now and their, their portfolio is down 25% for the year. Um, and for people that are in their late sixties and early seventies, that's a huge chunk of their net worth and they're not making any income. Like this is the rest of their money for the rest of their life. So you have to pay attention. Wisdom. And I know if someone is listening and they're like, I need to pay attention more and, you know, I need, I need somebody I can trust. Where can people find out more about you and your work? So um, I'm pretty 
accessible online. You could Google me and I'm everywhere. Um, there's a lot of information on our website, which is alternativewealthpartners.com. Um, you can reach out to me directly. My email is k.winget at alternativewealthpartners.com. Um, I love responding to people that are curious about um, the alternative space. So what that really means is that we invest in everything off of Wall Street. So we don't do anything in the public space. We're not going to do anything that your financial advisor is going to have access to. Um, there's definitely stepping stones to getting to invest in uh, private equity. Um, but a good place to start if you're starting your investment journey or you want to start learning about this stuff um, it's just doing some basic research. There's a lot of um, what are called robo-advisors available, which are little robot advisors. So you have things like Stash, which is an app. Stash, uh, Robinhood. Um, you know, I have a preference of LFS because it's women-focused. Um, Sally Krawcheck is the founder of LFS. And it was the entire platform is designed for women and the way that women invest. And that is a great place to start because they do provide a lot of financial literacy information. So it doesn't force you to start investing. It just wants you to start learning about investing. And then it has the tools if you want to start moving forward um, and just taking the steps to, to educate yourself and what all of this means and asking the questions. So like if you have a financial advisor or if you're working, you have a 401k, there's somebody attached to that 401k. Like it is at a custodian and you can call that custodian and talk about your 401k. Um, and uh, if you aren't involved in your family's finances, you know, start getting involved um, because it's going to be really important um, as a woman to know that information because you will be left with that money. So you want to know where it is. <laughs> Thank you so much. And we will put all that stuff in the show notes. You guys check her out. I know sometimes money feels scary, but it is the uh, the energy and the exchange of how we feed and clothe and care for ourselves. So definitely um, worth checking out and giving a little extra love too. So thank you, Kelly, for helping us on our journey to becoming toxic person proof. Thank you, Sarah. Hello, wonderful. This is Sarah. And if you love the Toxic Person Proof podcast, then you are going to love the Becoming Toxic Person Proof book. Just give Toxic Person Proof a Google and you'll see where the book is sold. It's all about clearing the confusion and learning to trust yourself after a toxic relationship. And the best thing is, it's a lot easier to give a book away than a podcast. So if there's someone you know who's struggling in their own toxic relationship, pick up a copy and pay it forward. Hello, wonderful. This is Sarah, and I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I know that there was something that you can take away to help you get past the past, get real about the present, or get serious about your future. And if I did my job, then hopefully it will help you with all three. If you are not in my Facebook group, Finding Love and Success After a Toxic Relationship, then consider this your personal invitation from me. I'm there live. There's tons of support. And most importantly, tons more information to help you on your journey to become toxic person proof.